0: From WFIU in Bloomington, Indiana, I'm Kate Young, and this is Earth Eats.
1: Everything here is about getting the food from the farm to the table. How do we do it? From the seeds to the harvest, right?
0: This week on the show, we revisit a trip to the Lawrence Community Garden to learn about their next generation youth farming summer camp. We have a story about a peer support program for farmers addressing mental health issues. We make a savory soup with fresh sorrel from the garden, plus stories from Harvest Public Media about farm simulation games and farming while renting. That's all just ahead, so stay with us. This is Earth Eats. I'm Kate Young. For farmer health and safety programs, this past year was an especially busy one, and one area of wellness has become particularly important. Josephine McRobbie checks in with one such program in North Carolina.
2: Farming solo can be isolating. I just had a lot of learning to do, and I didn't know this land yet.
3: It's getting the infrastructure to produce food. That's the hang-up in farming.
2: The fact that you generally only get one crop per year has just made the learning curve is very steep.
4: For two years, I've interviewed North Carolina farmers for Earth Eats. And even at successful, thriving farms, there are still huge challenges.
2: I call it compounded stress because there are many, many stressors.
4: Dr. Robin tudor Markham is director of the North Carolina Agromedicine Institute, an organization working towards farmer safety and health.
2: And just when I think that I've heard them all, I hear another one. Farm finance, the volatility in markets, family pressures, intergenerational farm transfer, regulatory pressures, developmental encroachment. We're a state that has a lot of hurricanes, a lot of tornadoes. So the stressors are endless.
4: Institute staff do everything from helping farmers find health insurance to developing grain silo safety programs. But a decade ago, Dr. Markham realized that they had a gap in their services.
2: I had lunch with a farm woman who had suffered a fatality of a worker on her farm, and her husband had suffered two serious injuries. And she looked across the table uh, during lunch at me, and she said, You know that I believe in the work you do, that I understand the importance of farm safety and health. But if you don't do something about the stress that farmers and their families are under, then the other work that you do is not going to mean anything. And so I made her a promise that day that we would work on farm stress and try to do something about it. So it's been a very slow uphill process because farmers are very private people and we don't believe in talking about stress, anxiety, depression, substance abuse, alcoholism. We keep all those things inside.
4: The Institute now runs a peer help program called Farmer to Farmer. Interested farmers sign up to be trained as a sort of peer counselor and are matched with those who might need mental health or emotional support.
2: I'm from a farm family. Both of my sons are farmers. But it's one thing for me in a professional role to talk about those things. And for a farmer to have someone who looks like him, who lives the day-to-day like him, who experiences those same internal thoughts about, I'm barely holding on, what am I going to do? It's very different to have another farmer to talk to.
4: To get involved, farmers take mental health first aid and suicide prevention courses, and they participate in discussion groups about the subtleties of what struggle can look like out in the world.
2: What are the causes of farm stress? What does it look like when someone is depressed or anxious? What are the signs that someone might be contemplating suicide? We talk about listening skills and communication skills. We talk about what to do if someone is in crisis.
4: Meanwhile, nurses working at the Agromedicine Institute do intake to determine if the peer program is a good fit for farmers who request help.
2: They find out a little bit more about their background, about what commodities they're farming, about their family, um, if they have a safe community, and also they screen them for anxiety and depression.
4: They screen for mental health issues before and throughout the program to determine if a farmer might actually need crisis intervention or professional counseling. They also monitor to see if the peer match is continuing to be a good fit.
2: We have both men and women who are peer farmers along the age continuum. So we have someone who just graduated with their master's in crop science. And then we have someone I I call our seasoned farmer, someone over the age of 60 who's a farmer with different commodities. So a cattleman, a Christmas tree grower, a row crop farmer. This
4: kind of service where commonality or camaraderie is leveraged to improve public health isn't exactly new. To develop her program, Dr. Markham consulted with a diabetes prevention peer support service. But the stigma around emotional struggles, especially in a field like agriculture, makes it tricky to get the word out, so people often come to her in a roundabout way.
2: Because we have established those relationships over the years working on other issues, then people are more likely to reach out to us and say, you've helped me before, can you help me with this? The most important thing they want is to make sure that when we're matching farmers, that we generally have people who can listen, um, that they can interact with, but they don't want to be matched with another farmer who's in their own county or maybe the county over. That was the most important thing because of the privacy issue that I talked about, the privacy and the pride. And so we have taken that um, quite seriously so that our matches so far have been on opposite ends of the state
4: One of Dr. Markham's research interests is women in agriculture, and so she's been especially excited to make those connections.
2: The farm woman who challenged me to do the farm stress work, she said, I can be dressed in professional dress. She said, and I can go into a meeting and people say, well, what do you do? And she said, I'm a farmer. And she said, people look at her like she's a white elephant that they just could not relate to her. Farm women can talk to farm women and they understand one another.
4: There's something about the mirror-like quality of Farmer to Farmer that has made it stick.
2: We have uh, one pairing and they have been able to meet, even though it's a very busy time of year for them, they meet uh, virtually and um, have established consistent Um, conversations and our peer farmer is just excellent and that she's able to offer very simple small things that the farmer that she's working with can do that are really making a difference uh, for that farmer so I think that knowing that we have some matches that have established comfortable relationships, that's very important. For WFIU's Earth Eats,
4: I'm Josephine McRobbie.
0: Find links to the Farmer to Farmer program at eartheats.org. Even though only 3% of Americans are currently farmers, a lot of people still identify with the agriculture lifestyle. That community has found a home in a video game. Harvest Public Media's Jonathan All reports.
3: Harley Hand is getting ready for a day on the farm.
5: Well, first, let me jump in a, in a combine. We've got a soybean harvest, guys. We've got a, a big harvest, a bunch of fields that are ready to go.
3: He makes an adjustment to his equipment and he's on his way.
5: Need to unfold the header, I guess it's, okay. Well, let's fold it up. There we go. All right, let's roll.
3: But that sound, not a real combine. The Georgia native isn't really behind the controls of a big machine at all. He isn't even on a farm. He's in front of his computer in his house playing the game Farming Simulator and streaming the session online, where he regularly gets hundreds of people watching him play. Hans says a lot of his interactions with his audience are about learning the ins and outs of farming.
5: It's a huge learning experience for a lot of people uh, that come into my streams. I've got a lot of people that know nothing about farming, uh, and they come into the stream and and they're like, oh, oh really? That's, That's how that works. And uh, it's, it's pretty cool.
3: Farming Simulator covers a lot of ground, from buying equipment to choosing crops, plowing, planting, fertilizing, and harvesting. A.K. Romig is a gamer and writer who reviewed Farming Simulator for the website PC Invasion. He says the game is a lot like real farming. The monotony, the tediousness, the length of time that it takes to plow a field in Farming Sim, it does give you an appreciation for what Real farmers have to do it, I would say, from my experience. Monotony, tediousness, not the words you want to associate with something that people would do for fun. But Ramig, who lives in the Bahamas, says the game still has a lot of appeal. And we don't have major-scale farming here. You'll never see a John Deere tractor here, right? But it's still cool to me. It's still cool to see machines. The game's so popular, playing it can actually be a full-time job. Harley Hand and several other streamers play the game online almost daily with hundreds of people watching. There's also a farming simulator esports competition that has sponsored teams competing for cash prizes up to a quarter of a million dollars, a lot more than what most farmers make in a year. And some of the game's most avid fans are farmers. Shelby Walker is a Southern Illinois native and a Ph.D. candidate in agriculture communications at the University of Hawaii, Manoa. Her research shows some people who drive a real tractor all day will unwind by driving a virtual one. The
2: conditions aren't always perfect, but within the game, the conditions are always perfect. So it's almost like this fantasy, it's I get to do things in the digital realm that I don't get to do in real life.
3: She says it's a form of escapism to do it in a more predictable environment. Walker says the game also attracts people who may not be farmers, but feel connected to agriculture. That idea checks with streamer Harley Hand. He says all that tedious and monotonous time driving a combine, it allows him to connect with his audience.
5: A game like Farming Simulator allows you to interact with the people who are watching you a lot better than you can play in a game like Call of Duty. So it really it becomes, you know, you're building a bunch of friendships and and you, you begin to know everybody that's there
3: like here when hand reads a comment in his chat about a viewer who recently lost his home due to financial problems
5: i I hate to hear that brother hopefully uh you know hopefully there's a turnaround somewhere man i'm sorry to hear that brother hopefully everything gets better for you
3: dude farming simulator is scheduled to release a new version late this year there's much speculation on whether it will add new features to make it even more realistic or keep it simple to attract a wider audience Jonathan All, Harvest Public Media.
0: Harvest Public Media is a reporting collective covering food and farming in the heartland. Find more at harvestpublicmedia.org. Coming up later in the show, a story from Harvest Public Media about farmers working on rented land. This is Earth Eats. I'm your host, Kate Young. As we enter the summer growing season we bring you a story from the summer of 2020 from the Lawrence Community Garden in Indianapolis. Lake swimming, bonfires, and late night ghost stories in cabin bunk beds. Long hikes and camp songs, tug of war, and acorn arts and crafts. Those are some of my summer camp memories. This year, most summer camps and youth programs have been canceled due to restrictions in place to slow the spread of the novel coronavirus. This has left many families scrambling for childcare and many kids with too much time on their hands. Sharonna Moore decided to go ahead with the Next Generation Farmers Youth Program at Lawrence Community Gardens.
1: Sharonna Moore, I am the founder of Lawrence Community Gardens right off the corner of 46th and Post Road in the far east side of Indianapolis. So the Next Generation Farmers Summer Youth Program is all about teaching the kids the Junior Master Gardener curriculum and also strategic organic agriculture practices along with some small farm business enterprise skills. Uh, We have a youth program that's running right now, the Next Generation Farmers Summer Youth Program.
0: The program takes place entirely outdoors, so social distancing is a real option. But they had to make many changes this year for the day camp to be as safe as possible for participants.
1: The first thing we did was we cut out all volunteerism. So we don't accept any volunteers right now. We offer all the children masks, we supply clean uh, garden gloves every day, sanitize or disinfect them by washing them with bleach water every day. And then also they have latex gloves as well. If they're handling produce they have plastic gloves that they can use to handle those they all got hand sanitizer and they got the disposable mask but i also gave them bandanas each child was required this year to have their own water bottle their own reusable water bottles one person is distributing the lunch you know what i mean with gloves on mask not and having
0: everybody coming yeah down no, no
1: no 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 yeah. so we're everything is grab and go or we're distributing it so those are the changes that we made this year also with social distancing they usually are spread out a lot more and truthfully being outside um, is increasing their immune system it's building their immune system the amount of vitamin D and eating from this farm is increasing their immune systems already so when they go back to school their immune system will be uh, stronger because we didn't have our big volunteer days with the chamber of commerce and our community partners we wrote for funding to bring our youth in 10, 10 weeks ahead of time to help us get our hoop house developed and planted and cultivated so that we would have produce now for our youth to sell for this program we needed their help regularly so they came out and helped with getting the farm going they came out Tuesday, Thursday and Friday and those three days we really got a lot done.
0: I've had Sharana on the show before. She's also the founder of the Black Farmers Co-op in Indianapolis. We've talked with her about food deserts and farmers markets and whiteness. I dropped by the farm last week for a chance to see their youth program in action. The farm is flat and open with a few outbuildings, a hoop house and an almost finished entrance road off a busy street. On this morning, there's blue skies and a cooling breeze. Sharana introduced me to two young participants okay. for a tour of the farm.
1: That would, that would be fantastic. Zion, this is Miss Kate.
6: Hi. Hi.
1: Jason, this is Miss Kate.
7: My name is Jason Rosellas Harms.
6: I am Zion
7: Moore.
0: We started at a wooden shed with the double doors flung open facing the road. It's their farm stand.
7: It's open basically every day from 8 to 12 and this is the last week for the youth program. It'll still be open a little bit after. It's not open year round, but most of the summer. We got a lot of cucumbers, a lot of jalapenos, chilies, spicy peppers, just bell peppers, purple bell peppers, eggplants, banana peppers, a lot of herbs, dried herbs, eggs. This is our you pick for free section where um, people can come pick produce for free. You've got cucumbers, we got tomatoes, onions here. I'm pretty sure these are carrots.
6: Yeah, these are carrots.
7: And then these over here are also carrots. And then these right here are all strawberries.
0: And then we moved right into here. the main growing areas. Um, we, we have,
7: have some, some watermelons. watermelons. Yeah. That's zucchini. Tomatoes. More tomatoes. More tomatoes.
6: And as you can see, we have built them up because when it rains, it can sometimes flood and kill the plants. We built it up so that when the water, when it floods here, like all down there, it will be all flooded, but the plants will still be okay.
0: Oh, so the water kind of goes in this channel? Yeah, Yeah, in
6: the rows.
7: So they don't get damaged.
0: That's great. And has that happened this year? Oh yeah,
7: there's a lot of water.
0: Next stop was the chicken coop. That this pipe right
7: here is watering. That other pipe here is a food thing. And if we go in, this is where we get all the eggs from. Oh, that's so cool. Um, those, those chickens right there are the ones that have the males of the uh-huh. group.
6: And The other here, chickens
7: are all
6: female. The, the, here's a fact. Chickens don't like water. So how do they bathe? They take a dirt bath. They're, um, they they uh, use their feet and loosen up the dirt until they can like kick it up on their back. And it keeps them cool. And so, how do you keep them safe from, like, hawks and stuff like that? Well, Um, we just built a fence around it so that uh, predators couldn't get through. And he built a roof over it so that no flying animals could get inside or nothing could crawl
7: up in there. And during the day, we keep a close eye on them, make sure they don't go too far. And after, at the end of the day, we take a head count for the chickens and make sure they're all there.
0: And Uh, then you put them inside? Yeah. So that's something that has to be done every single day, right? Yep.
6: At the bottom right here, this is basically the same thing that was over there in the rows, um, so that it won't get really wet in there, so that the water would be all in there. It won't be really wet.
0: So it's like a drainage ditch. Yeah. Or, or almost like a moat.
6: Yeah. Wait, step over here a little. because yeah. That rooster, wow. he's going to attack you.
0: They keep chickens mostly for the eggs, mm-hmm. but they do have a couple of roosters in well, the flock. When
6: you, if you, that other one that's kind of small and got the long tail, he's kind of the mean one, because if you just run from him, he'll chase you. That other one, if you go close to him or try to uh, pick up a chicken or mess with them, he'll go attack you. He's kind of the the real the main male rooster. chicken. And the other one, he's kind of like the second male chicken.
3: Mm-hmm. He
6: came second.
7: The first rooster is a rare breed of chicken. There's a matching pair, so this one right here, and then the rooster. Uh-huh. They match in there. So,
6: so he prefers Oops, her more than anybody else. Yeah. Okay. The last year, or maybe some people this year, they had never seen a real chicken before, so yeah. this is like the first time seeing a real chicken. So I guess it might have been kind of interesting for them. If any of them after attack you, just back away slowly and look them in the eye. They won't. They probably won't attack
7: you if you do that.
0: Okay. Back away slowly and look them in the eye. Got it. The next stop was the beehives. We approached two bee boxes on the path leading from the chicken coop to the hoop house.
7: A beekeeper that comes and checks all the hives, make sure they're all doing well, seeing if there's any honey ready to be harvested. We got a new set of bees back there, but those are kind of more mean than these.
0: They're a different variety?
7: Uh, I, don't, well, I don't
6: think so. It's it yeah, just on when the person that first brought them here, they brought them in the middle of the day. In the middle of the day is when bees are most active. When, if you like want to do anything with bees, you probably want to do it early in the morning or late in the afternoon.
7: And he made them mad. He killed a couple of them while transporting them. So they got mad and stung us all.
0: Next was a stop at the massive hoop house filled with lush greenery.
7: We have a lot of jalapenos. We got okra. A lot of our herbs are back there, like the basil, thyme, um, stevia, a lot of stuff like that. Back behind the hoop-
0: to the left of the hoop house was a small structure.
7: Um, we have a generator for a water pump, so we have a hose that we have connect up to It's really long, and we just water our plants like that sometimes.
6: And so we have right here, this is my mom's office. It's a trailer because we don't have really any other. Wrapping up the tour is an you. RV Carolina that serves there. as Sharana's it's office. Where we have our solar panel. And so she just does all her um, office work in there. And our farm stand has solar power on it. So you have a little bit of electricity in Yeah, there. a little bit. Yeah.
0: I asked Jason and Zion about their interest in the program. What motivates them?
7: I just want to help the community because there's not many grocery stores here. There's not one in the neighborhood. All of them are on Pendleton Pike. And there's no sidewalks to get to those or buses. Okay.
0: Do you also enjoy growing food? Like, do you have an interest in farming?
7: Um, Yes, I have an interest in farming, but I'm not going to go into it as a right. major in university.
6: Uh-huh. I actually have my own business. I don't really have a name for it yet because it's a really small business. I haven't sold anything yet. I have these rare chickens, and they're eggs that can hatch chicks. They can go for around, like, a hundred or between fifty dollars a piece. Called a yam, a yam samani chicken. It's an all-black chicken. Their eyes are black. Their feathers are black. Their bones are black.
0: And so you're raising them and then selling the the chickens that hatch.
6: Yes, that's that's really my business. Yeah.
0: It was just about time for lunch.
6: During lunch, we also do curriculum that basically is basically a school.
7: We learn about money saving planting harvesting a lot of things that could help us out at the garden manage our money that we earn from the garden
0: yeah so i saw a list of like different topics you guys had done so you'd done money management chicken raising Mm -hmm. chicken processing so Mm -hmm. what was that like um so we killed
7: one of the chickens um who wasn't very helpful because she was mounting the chickens and ripping their feathers off because she wanted to have an egg, but she, she was to fertilize them, but yeah, she, she was couldn't a fertilize them
6: because she's not a boy. She's still a girl, but she was acting like a boy, so yeah. she was no use, and she stopped laying eggs. So we had to put her into we had to put her into a crock pot, uh, cook up some with some rice.
0: My two young tour guides were not shocked by the chicken processing workshop. Jason had dealt with killing live chickens for meat in his grandmother's village in Honduras. And Zion had processed a rooster from his home flock that died accidentally.
6: One more thing is with the farm stand is we, as a youth program, sometimes take a a list of all our prices and the food that we have, and we would take it over there. We would walk over there to the um, senior home across the street and go door by door and see if they want any produce, because most of them are really old, and they can't come over here or walk. And so we would get like a a car or a wheelbarrow and get their uh, stuff and then bring it over there. Uh Uh-huh. I think that's pretty much it. Thank you
0: so much for talking to me you guys. This was great. You're welcome. You're welcome. That was Jason Rosales Harms and Zion Moore, senior farmhands with the Next Generation Farmers Youth Program at Lawrence Community Gardens in Indianapolis. After a short break, we'll talk again with CEO and founder Sharana Moore about her vision for the program. Stay with us. listening to Earth Eats, I'm Kate Young. After my guided tour of the Lawrence Community Gardens, Sharana Moore got the young farmers set up with lunch.
1: There were some changes also with food this year, so normally we get our food from, our students get free lunch from the township schools, uh, Lawrence Township schools. Well this year Lawrence Township schools wasn't doing free lunch. So now my funds, some of the funds like, are diverted to providing them with lunch. Um, the options are, not always healthy as I would like for them to be, but they get lunch while they're out here.
0: Once the food was safely distributed, we stepped into the shade of the farm stand to talk about Sharana's vision for the Next Generation Farmers Youth Program.
1: So we teach them how to cooperatively work together and systematically uh, grow food to become their own farmer's market. So students have a chance to learn. They learn how to become the master of their produce items. If they're growing tomatoes, they don't learn all everything there is to know about that growing tomatoes, so that they can, they can produce a quality tomato crop. Now, if their friend or neighbor is growing cucumbers, then their friend or neighbor is learning all there is to know about cucumbers, so they can grow a quality crop, as well as the health benefits of the produce that they grow, so they can communicate those things back to our customers who come through. They learn how to take care of chickens, they learn uh, basic beekeeping skills, and this year we had about eight students sign up to take, or to be sponsored, to take a beginning beekeeper class. So next spring they'll come back and they'll be the owner of their own hive out here. So they'll have all their equipment and their hive and they learn the importance of bees. So. That's another value added item for our farm stand and for the kids to be able to make money off of. All of the produce that is being harvested and sold at their farm stand is donated from our garden to their program. Uh, So they earn profit sharing, but they're learning inventory, overhead and profit, data collection, you know, record keeping, all those important things in order to run a small business. So they count the register down. They learn how to do uh, financial transactions, cash and credit cards, Um, We even take SNAP here. So this will be our first Saturday, this upcoming Saturday will be our first Saturday being open.
0: I wanted to hear about the stipend structure in place for program participants.
1: Junior farmhands make $50 a week stipend, plus they earn profit sharing off of what's made at the farm stand. Senior farmhands, second year students will make $75 a week and still earn profit sharing. Third year students earn $100 a week and still earn profit sharing. And then also the senior farm hands this year are, we got an extend, some extended funding to keep on a few. Um, so they'll continue to work out here Tuesday and Thursday from five to eight and on Saturday, 10 to two. So our farm stand will be open three days a week and they'll continue to earn profit sharing plus a stipend every week for just continuing to work out here. We'll be able to keep four or five of them. The senior farm hands are actually team leaders. So, um, when they come back their second year, they've learned everything, they're nominated by their peers, which is important because peer observation is really important, right? Their peers are observing their work ethics, their character, um, their behavior, how they treat other people, their knowledge here at the farm, so their peers are, are paying attention. Um, as a farm hand, they are a leader. A team leader, so it's their job to make sure. in their team, the junior farmhands, have to look to their senior farmhands for uh, resources, information, correct way to do things here at the farm. Um, so it it it's nurturing their leadership skills as well.
0: I asked Sharana about the logic behind offering the stipend.
1: Well, first of all, we're working we're re- working to reduce youth crime by giving these kids a stipend every week. They're not going to be out opening up car doors, stealing change they're gonna feel like their work is has worth, So they get their certificate in the end and parents were looking for stuff for their kids to do. But understand, $50 a week is not a lot of money. These kids are out here because this is absolutely what they want to do. It's more to growing food and being out here in the sun and being hot and dirty every day than just $50 a week. What they're doing is, and I talk to them cons- constantly about activism food justice systematic oppression food equality food access food security those are things that terms that they're becoming familiar with early because this is the work that we do why do we grow here we grow here to fight food insecurity that's why we're donating half of what we grow to the pantries But we're also here to add or improve food access for our community. There's nothing else in this area where people can go and just get fresh, organic, local food. Going to the grocery store is not freedom. The grocery store still controls what we eat. Being able to grow food and be in control of your wellness is true freedom. And so that's what we talk to the kids about. We also talk to them about investing in their communities as they get older, building in their communities, building businesses here, building your homes here, not just taking your families and moving outside the community because there's issues here, but being a part of the solution in the communities. So those are other things that I talk to them about all the time. It's about learning how to be sustainable. You can grow enough food to take care of yourself and your neighbors at your own house. Doing, this, doing it systematically in your neighborhood means that everybody in your neighborhood eats. Now, we don't worry about the grocery stores closing. Cause we're gonna go farther away and we're gonna buy our uh, sugar and our flour in bulk and we're gonna come back and we're gonna distribute amongst our neighbors. We're gonna buy that collectively. But our community should be able to be sustainable just by our own efforts. And that's what we're teaching them. How to care, how to homestead because we don't expect the grocery stores to come back. They'll have to gentrify our whole neighborhood for the grocery stores to come back. At the way things are right now, the economic uh, foundation of this neighborhood, the medium income of this neighborhood, grocery stores aren't coming back. More and more businesses are leaving. They have to be aware of this. This is awareness at an earlier age this is a rebuilding and, and building a new nation. That's what this starts with. This small group of kids, this is building a new nation. Food is, is justice, it's equality. It's the one thing that no matter what color you are, what gender you are, no matter what religion you are, we all eat, everybody eats. This is about justice for all people right here. They need to know that. I'm eating lunch at the same time, so excuse me. I gotta eat lunch on the run.
0: I asked Sharana what she had in mind when she offered a chicken processing workshop in a youth program.
1: The chicken processing was, we sent out permission slips to see if parents wanted. There were some parents that didn't want their children to see that. But I need them to understand, when you order six chicken wings, how many chickens gonna die? We need them to understand the importance of why we're growing food and where do these chickens fit in the cycle of the system here. They also learned how to butcher a chicken. So if you buy a whole chicken in the store, where do you start cutting it? It was more to the whole process than just the slaughter and the processing the chicken.
0: And as we learned from Jason and Zion, they're learning a lot more than how to process chickens.
1: They have to care for them every day. We have five teams, and each team is assigned a job duty for the day. So during the course of five weeks, they take, they take care of those chickens five times. From feeding, watering, collecting eggs. Maybe they have to clean out the coop and put new, new uh, hay down. They understand their behaviors. They learn how to round them up. They learn so much about how do, how do chickens bathe? How do we keep them healthy? Even putting the apple cider vinegar and garlic in their water, you know, to keep them from getting worms. <laughs> they know about that. We learned about eggs, sizing how to grade them, the different colors of the eggs, right? Processing the chickens was also about them understanding clean eating. If you eat meat, you should know where your meat is coming from. And if you're going to raise chickens at your own house, this is how you would process your chicken. To understand the process of getting the chicken from the farm to the table, Everything here is about getting the food from the farm to the table. How do we do it? From the seeds to the harvest, right? To taking the harvest back, our diverted waste back to the compost and making new soil.
0: I was interested in experiencing some farm to table salsa. Before I hit the road, I stopped by the farm stand to pick up supplies. I bought several varieties of peppers, golden cherry tomatoes, a cucumber, and a couple of eggplants. The eggplants are for baba ghanoush, not salsa, in case you're wondering. As I was about to head out, Ooh, okay. Sharona offered me a Carolina there reaper if you, uh, pepper.
1: If, if y'all hold life flash before y'all are. eyes. <laughs> alright I'm gonna treat
0: this one special. I'm not gonna throw it in with the rest of them. <laughs> we'll hear more about that hot pepper in another episode. To learn more about the Lawrence Community Gardens and the Next Generation Farmers Youth Program, check our website, eartheats.org. Be sure to find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We have a short video this week of chickens taking a dirt bath and Zion explaining. You can find us at Eartheats. Increasingly, farmers don't own the land they work. That's particularly true in the country's breadbasket, and it can have environmental consequences. Harvest Public Media's Dana Cronin looked at farmland rental data to figure out how the system is impacting the land itself. As she reports, farmers who rent appear less likely to use conservation practices. Central Illinois
8: farmer, Lynn Warfell, feels a deep connection to his land.
9: One summer afternoon, my wife and I were sitting on the corner of of that horse tank over there. Uh, It was a hot afternoon and it started to rain. And we both cried. We were so full of joy for that rain. My wife and I sat there and cried.
8: Warfell, now 80 years old, still owns the land that's been in his family since his great-grandfather arrived in Champaign County in the 1800s. But now he rents out the corn and soybean operation to his neighbors down the street. It's a crop share arrangement. Warfell provides the land and pays the taxes. His tenants provide the machinery and labor, and they split the profits 50-50. His tenants are good farmers, Warfell says, and he thinks his land is in good hands. Still...
9: Of course, I watch them like a hawk. I live here. I watch what they do every day.
8: Not all farm landlords are like that, though. Many don't even live near the acres they rent out.
9: A guy who's renting the land from Springfield is not going to be sitting here with his wife, and he's not going to be crying when it rains.
8: More than half of Illinois farmland is rented, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. That's the highest rate in the country, but it follows a Midwestern trend. Soren Rundquist studies agricultural conservation practices for the Environmental Working Group, things like planting cover crops and their prevalence on Midwestern farms.
3: The sense we get that it's more of a business decision, uh, you know, trying to make the most out of your investment in terms of renting land, uh, planting your cash crop versus you know, incorporating uh, a best management practice.
8: For many landowners, it's all about making a profit. And while there are some existing conservation incentive programs, most of them involve long term commitments. Most farmland leases run one year at a time. Harvest Public Media analyzed data from the 2017 Census of Agriculture. Those numbers show, in general, Illinois counties with higher rates of rented farmland have fewer acres planted in cover crops. Same goes for acres of no-till, a conservation practice that helps reduce soil erosion and sequester carbon that contributes to global warming. Gary Schnitke is a professor of farm management at the University of Illinois. He says many farmland owners don't see a profit in conservation programs that don't yield immediate returns.
9: The attitude of the landowner really matters, right? So if if they're concerned about the long term viability of the farm, which many of them are, so those things can happen. If on the other hand, those landowners want the largest current return you can get without much concern for the future, then you have more of an issue.
8: He says farmland is a pretty good investment. Bill Gates, for example, is America's top farmland owner. And that's why the rental system will likely persist.
9: I mean, it's the only system you got. So <laughs> what you gotta do?
8: Lynn Warfell says the system we got could have long-term consequences for the soil.
9: If you don't protect the soil, from wind and water erosion, and if you till it constantly uh, with huge machines, (laughs) uh, that has an impact. And it's having an impact. We are losing precious soil.
8: He says to save the soil, we need more farmland owners like him, who know how to take care of it. I'm Dana Cronin, Harvest Public Media.
0: Find more from this reporting collective at harvestpublicmedia.org. I've got a French sorrel plant in a perennial garden bed next to my front porch. I've had it for years. It comes back every spring. Sorrel is a delicate leafy green with a distinctive lemony taste. I never know quite how to cook with it, but when I tried this soup recipe last year, I loved everything about it. It's rich and satisfying, but still light and fresh tasting. It's a nice soup for spring or summer, and it's simple to prepare. You can probably find sorrel at one of the local farmers markets or possibly at the grocery store. And if you have some growing in your garden, you can start there. Sorrel is a great green to grow in your garden because it is a perennial. It comes back year after year. As long as you can keep the deer off of it, you've got it three seasons out of the year. It's a very pretty plant too, so it's nice to put in your garden beds as a landscaping plant. It's got bright green, kind of oval-shaped shiny leaves. It's a lot like spinach in texture, it's a very tender leaf. And then we'll want to wash it and spin it dry in a salad spinner. Once you have the sorrel leaves washed and spun, chop them up. You'll need two and a half cups. If you don't have enough sorrel, feel free to substitute spinach or charred leaves to make up the difference. Next, you'll wanna get the rest of the vegetables and herbs prepared. The recipe calls for one small onion, one medium peeled carrot, one stalk of celery, and two small potatoes. All of the vegetables should be diced into small pieces. The soup won't be blended, so think about what you would want in a spoon-sized bite of soup. Also, the smaller pieces will cook more quickly. The last ingredient to prepare is the fresh thyme. Strip the leaves from the stem and finely mince. Now you're ready to start assembling and cooking the soup. We're going to start by melting two tablespoons of unsalted butter in a heavy pot, such as a Dutch oven. And to our melted butter, we will add the chopped celery, onions and carrots. We'll cook these vegetables over a medium heat until they begin to soften and we'll add about two teaspoons of salt, a few grinds of pepper, and once the mirepoix vegetables, the carrots, the onions, and the celery are starting to get soft then we're going to add the diced potato, a third of a cup of uncooked rice so that can be basmati or jasmine, and four cups of vegetable broth. You could also use a chicken stock for this and I've made my vegetable broth a little bit more rich by heating it up with some parmesan rinds. Really adds a nice savory flavor to soups. We'll simmer this on a low heat until the rice and potatoes are tender, that should take about 20 or 30 minutes. Once they are tender, we'll add the cream, the sorrel leaves, and some fresh thyme. And then once the sorrel is wilted, we'll taste and adjust the seasonings. Maybe add a little bit of salt and pepper, and that's it. that our soup has been cooking for about 20 minutes. We're gonna check. Yep, those potatoes are tender and the rice is cooked. So now it's time to add the cream. It's one cup of cream. Two teaspoons of fresh thyme, finely chopped. And then our sorrel leaves. And you're gonna want about two and a half cups of those. And just stir that in heat through and adjust the seasoning and then you're ready to serve this does not get pureed i mean you could do that if you'd like but i think it's a really nice soup with uh, all of the textures of the diced potatoes onions and carrots and celery and then a little bit of that rice just to kind of thicken it and give it some body the cream is adding the richness and then that bright sorrel flavor. The sorrel is very tart. It has a it has a lemony flavor. But in this dish, it's not overwhelming because of all the other flavors that you have going on and just the proportions. So it's a really nice soup. It's a great way to serve sorrel, and I hope you'll try it. As always, you can find the recipe at eartheats.org. I share seasonal recipes from the Earth Eats Archive each week in our e newsletter, the Earth Eats Digest. There's a sign up link on our website, eartheats.org. It's a great way to keep in touch between episodes and to find out about the latest videos on our YouTube channel. This week, I walk through the steps of making and canning strawberry jam with less sugar than traditional jam recipes. You can use this method for any fruit jams. For all the berries and stone fruits this summer? See the video by searching for Earth Eats on YouTube. And please subscribe and share with your friends. it for our show this week thanks for listening we'll see you next time the earth eats team includes Aobon binder mark chilla toby foster abraham hill peyton knoblick josephine McRobbie, harvest public media and me renee reed special thanks this week to robin tudor markham sharana moore jason rosales harms zion moore and everyone at lawrence community gardens our theme
8: music is composed by Aaron Toby and performed by Aaron and Matt Toby. Additional music on the show comes to us from the artists at Universal Productions Music. Earth Eats is produced and edited by Kate Young and our executive producer is John Bailey.